0: roll grad school
1: with your hosts, Heidi Edquist and Luke Poling. Hello, kitties. Welcome.
0: Welcome. Are we not going to have a good time today? We
1: might. Who knows? It's really up in the air at this point.
0: You're going to have a time today.
1: You're going to have a time, yes. No, we've got a good one. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are talking with Greg Gilmore. Who He was somebody that when we got the email saying, do you want to talk with Greg Gilmore? I think we both said, why do I know that name? Yes. And lo and behold, that's not the right phrase. uh, Greg was the drummer for a bunch of bands. Yes. Including Mother Love Bone. Yes. Which I feel like if you grew up in the same era in which we did, that means a lot and carries a lot of weight.
0: It and the second we realized that that's where we recognized his name from, in addition to these other bands, we were right. extremely fired up to talk to him.
1: Yes. And Greg, the cool thing about this conversation is that we were talking about his band before Mother Love Bone. I think two bands before we get into yeah. it, which one came first five finger death punch or the living, right. but the living was a early punk band that he was in together for i think he said six months mm-hmm. recorded an album just so happened to have their lead singer i believe and songwriter be duff mckagan from uh
0: guns and roses lots exactly. of other amazing bands so complete legends coming together very young creating a punk sound
1: yeah. And this band has such a great history of supporters and uh, fans of other well-known musicians who have throughout the years tried to make this album come out. And now finally the stars have a line where you can actually enjoy it. Yes. And so the living is coming out on Friday
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's a, it's a fun little punk record. It is. I was going to say, it sounds like it was recorded in 1983, but I think it, was recorded in 1983
0: yes or are very close there too
1: so it's similar in some ways to one of my favorite reviews of the first ramones album said uh it might have been kurt loader who said that it's it's a great record because it's loud and fast and by the time the cops or your landlord show up to say shut it off the album's over and i think you can say the exact same thing about this like it's loud it's fast and it's it's over before i won before the complaint gets to you so correct that's kind of perfect
0: enjoy it and have fun and rock out yeah unscathed
1: and by the time someone's pounding on their ceiling with a broom handle record's over you're eating cheetos right so that's always fun
0: eating cheetos yeah
1: Yeah, (laughs) yes exactly
0: (laughs) the hot ones for sure
1: I have been unable to get the order straight. Was it, were you in 10 minute warning and then the living or the living and then 10 minute warning?
2: The living first, the, okay. the living, the living was, uh, really the beginning of all things for me in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, joining that band, I had, uh, not been playing and really had not, didn't have much of a social scene here. Until mm-hmm. uh, those guys had put an ad in the Rocket. It was a local entertainment music drag and uh, I answered that and, you know, joined right away. And that was the beginning of, it's a big group of, oh, instantly had a lot of friends, new friends and part of a larger community. and.
1: Great you're in the living you guys are playing around Seattle are you doing any other kind of treks in any direction outside of the city to do shows
2: um, you know I think I think our only trip out of town was up to Vancouver and just once or two we might have gone out there a couple of times I don't think I don't remember that we ever even went down to Portland. It, the whole thing, it lasted about five or six months. You know? Um, so we really, you know, arguably, we're just kind of getting going, though it seemed like we kind of had it going on.
1: And in that time frame of those five or six months, At what point did you guys go into the studio to record what is your new album?
2: It must have been right around the middle of it. um, (laughs) With the help of talking to Kurt Block yesterday who had some old calendars and diaries with dates in them, he was helping me. We were piecing some of this together. I must have joined sometime in January because uh, we were we were together for less than a year and i was there for duff's birthday so that would have been february and by that time you know i was firmly just a part of the just the scene there in that group of people so it had to I had to have been there for a few weeks already. So I probably started playing sometime in January. And Kurt says our last show was in uh, July, I think he said. So, and we probably called it off. Not too long after that show, I was guessing a little month.
0: What prompted that?
2: Well, John left the band and the three of us, we've made an effort to carry on for a little bit and I just I don't remember a lot of detail. But I remember one one guitar, one other guitar player friend we had come over to play one day. And he might have come over to play a couple of times before we had to tell him that. But it's um, not happening. <laughs> otherwise, uh, I don't, all I remember is, is kind of the, the one day of being there at practice. And it must have been just the three of us, and just the feeling of of the pool—it kind of drained, you know. Yeah. And um, it was a moment where uh, maybe some the more grown-up or seasoned bands would have recognized that, okay, the picture is bigger than this moment, and that's uh, yeah you know, let's take a break for a few days or regroup in some way. But um, at that time, you know, the solution to that feeling was just, nah. <laughs> let's not do this anymore. Yeah. yeah. Let's just burn this down. Yeah, I'm um,
0: done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so then you record this album, you guys break up, you go on to a bunch of different things, which I definitely want to. We want to get into. But how did how did this record come out? Come about? Now it's what thirty some years after you recorded it. After you guys played together and sat in the same room, to get, room together, I'm assuming. Yeah,
2: yeah, we did it old style. We actually played together.
1: Yeah. <laughs> how does this come out about where? This is what we're talking about now.
2: Yeah, um, <clears throat> it uh, it's been a project for me now of about, I it must be right around eight years. Uh, our the living sort of had a manager Brian Fox, um, who, in the ensuing years, has harbored the same affection for this. That recording, as I had, um, and he had some kind of a chance meeting or crossing of paths with a couple of kids from Portland who had started or wanted to do a boutique sort of label, and somehow it came to be that well, we should let's make a living record, and. Uh, John had the multi-tracks, uh, John Conti. Mm-hmm. And um, he had them transferred digitally, and I got a hold of the files and mixed it. Then that deal came undone. And a year and a half later, um, I contacted a... Another old friend of mine who used to work for Money at Mother Love Bone, and uh, he had a label in also in Portland called Cavity Search Records. And it wasn't really a project for him, but he hooked us up with uh, Jackpot and Lighthouse Records, which yes would have been a great place for that kind of record that was the idea at the time but um that was everything was happening i had remixed the material and put artwork together and it was just about to be shipped off and that deal got blown up that was really frustrating for me. oh yeah, um, yeah. i, I kind of at that i just shut it down and walked away from it for a time at, at that point then might have been a couple of years before I went out to lunch with Stone one day, and he's asking me what I've been up to, and among other things, I told him my tale of woe over this record that should be, but didn't seem like it would be, and he wanted to hear it. I sent him some files, and he loved it, and he thought, well, Sub Pop. So he sent it to Mark Arm, and Mark hooked us up with another guy there who I eventually went down and spent an afternoon with. And, okay, we're all glad-handing and this is going to be great. And um, just coming into the holiday season at that time, so nothing was going to happen for a while. And uh, nothing did. And we weren't even communicating through that time. And then the new year came and we still weren't communicating. and. I was not making any effort either because I just had a feeling about it. So I was just letting it ride. And um, then I don't, I, you know, I need, I should ask Stone and Regan how that came to be that they, uh, they reached out. I'm pretty sure the way it happened. They just, out of the blue, it seems they just reached out maybe to ask what was happening with the sub op thing and and they next thing you know they want to do it and uh, as it turns out after all that tribulation and frustration this really is the best this situation outstrips anything that you know, those way. other deals would have done this is way bigger it's getting more attention and
0: Yeah, the, the the I feel like the, just from an outsider, obviously, but I feel like the reception, there's been a lot of excitement and a lot of, and it's, it's great. Like I, it made me so happy for the, all the wrong reasons when I listened to it and everything I've been reading and researching and everyone is, has been really excited about it, which yeah. I think is great, you know, so it was worth the wait, hopefully.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm just curious to see what, wow, what's going to happen. Cause it has right. it's, um, it's, it's gone beyond my hopes even for, you know, what might happen with it. I, up to this point, I was happy just when it was somebody was gonna, you know, print a record, let alone actually try to do something to sell it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's already it's already way bigger than I anticipated that it might be or could be. So now I'm just just watching, fascination and curiosity.
0: So if you go back to that that moment, that moment when you kind of knew, like, eh, we're not gonna, we're done with this. If someone had said that the Green Great Kazoo or someone showed up and said, you're gonna get an album but you're going to have to wait 30 years, but you're going to do a bunch of really cool shit between now and then. <laughs> would you have been like, cool, all right, we'll go do this shit and come back together. Or would you have been like, no, fuck it. We're still done.
2: Um, yeah, we could not have. Uh, we could not have pulled it back together. Regardless. It was too. Yeah, when we just kids, you know, just kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's um, that's it. And th- that's part uh, probably explains a lot of why, how we just dropped it and walked away.
0: From, mm-hmm. you know,
2: the time. For sure. And what's it like to hear?
1: Well, one, when you kind of dig the tapes up again or you get the the copy of the tapes, to put that on and does it jibe with your memory? Like you said, you had these fond recollections of the record and and the band. When you put those files up and listen to them, were you like, yeah, this lives up to what I remembered? Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. um... What's it like to hear yourself too as an artist so far and so like much matured both, you know, physically, but also just musically, you know, at least one would hope one has improved their job and their skill set in the <laughs> ensuing <gotcha>. years.
2: <laughs> um, it isn't how I would, I wouldn't, I most likely would not play that way today just because, you know, you change and you, you, mm-hmm. <laughs> It's, it's possibly uh you know the not for the better uh that you you grow up in some way when you're become even even when it comes down to your musical uh, musical performance you become more responsible you know, and less ah, fuck you check this out <laughs> <laughs> you know do you so. feel
1: that same way when you listen to the mother love bone stuff now you still have that like ah it's different than i play it now
2: um that is yeah that's different uh it uh, the different aspects of it, kind of not so, so much about the performance but one it took me a long time to appreciate the sound of that record mm-hmm. actually it wasn't until I started engineering and mixing myself that I really appreciated um, what how that record was mixed. Um, I think the drums are really loud. That that's a whole other. I could go on a tangent mixing and why how I see that it were in that case it works. But in terms of the performance um I don't know that I would I am in now in some ways critical of where I was going at that time of just doing a lot of recording and really getting uh solid and simplifying and possibly to a fault, you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But though right at that moment, it it, 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 was it was fine. This
1: might say more about me than it does about you, but when I hear Crown of Thorns, it is like the perfect drum along in the car song. Oh, yeah. What do you do when you hear that song in the car? <laughs> Where
2: uh, does it take you? I really... My, it could be that my favorite moment in that recording is near the end where we're playing the outro and, you know, you slowly are going for it a little more, a little more. And, um, I do a Tom thing, which was way harder. I I was playing harder than, um, than I had been when we were getting levels. So that's, recording is the drums are distorted right there sadly that bothered some maybe and maybe that was did i guess tim palmer probably remixed but did he remix that for the for the lp or uh, whether it was remixed or just edited now i'm not certain but um on a later version of that Right when that happens, the fader it fades out. (laughs) (laughs)
0: just fade that right
2: out. Uh, You should just leave it alone. Just leave it there. It's fine. It's fine. So frustrating, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. um, It's been a long time since I would have heard that any of that record in my car. So. But I know that I I love that moment because that in that moment I you know, you've played a piece of music so many times, you start to really dial in and then often in many cases you're becoming very specific about what you're gonna play, when and where and often likewise those outros at least in my case you tend to leave that alone and you just wait for lightning to strike you know and um and there was something in that fill was a moment where i just was it wasn't something i had played there before and it was really happening and it was really right and Oh, great.
0: Great outro cannot be beat. And I feel like outros get, like, they get the shaft, but a great outro can, it like, works. really just nail it for a song, I feel.
2: It kind of, yeah, it work, can pull. There were two, 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 two Mother Love Bone songs <clears throat> that I think had great outros and and the story of how they happened is all is super cool. And that is, uh, Come bite the apple mm-hmm. and uh, start off champion. And in both cases, we had a song, and we used to go to a little local eight-track place, Reciprocal, and record a lot. Mm-hmm. And then we had a batch of new material, just even if it was still pretty loose, just kind of go. It's part of the process of finding out what he got. Mm -hmm. Both of those songs did not have, they didn't go anywhere, you know, after the last verse or chorus. We knew they needed to go somewhere. And I don't remember whether or not it was in the same session or not. But he was in doing those demos at Reciprocal that we, in both cases, we played the song and we came to that point all knowing that uh, something has to happen here and we just kept playing, you know, even without having anything, just kept playing anyway. And um, that's how both of those outros got tagged up to the end of those tunes and I I think they're both awesome.
0: They're great. That's fantastic. I love that. I love stuff that's just so organic like that where it just happens. Wasn't thought out, just came to be. Yeah. Super cool.
1: With both uh, Andy and Stone in Mother Love Bone and Duff in the Living, as songwriters, when they bring stuff in, how open are they to you throwing in your two cents? And is one much more militant about like, nope, you're not messing with this. This is what I this is what I'm hearing.
2: Yeah. Uh no, I've never had to deal with that. Or at least not in a situation that I stayed in.
0: <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah,
2: wouldn't I'm work resolve it. Wouldn't work for me to play with mm-hmm. somebody like that, Unless I was being paid really well, I <laughs>
0: Everybody has their <laughs> price. I mean it hurts a lot less. Less yeah. annoying.
2: <laughs> in both of those cases that I um, don't you know the band always fine in the final arrangements was working together to shape something up you know
1: and you've done a lot of work sort of post mother love bone playing with a bunch of different musicians and like you said engineering and producing records how has your playing changed since you've gotten more involved on the production side of things as you yeah. know what it takes to get a good recording of something
2: yeah yeah quite a bit. <laughs> 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 kind of I, or, I don't know um change my playing maybe not so much as just as my attitude toward well, I did a, a, a specific, would be um, uh long-running struggle between engineers and drummers about uh, how much damping or muffling there should be on a snare drum, you know. <laughs> uh, I have always played with a t- <clears throat> very live snare drum, and... Uh, And I know that it works or can work because I listen to a lot of records made by other people. Go, eh, it works for them. <laughs> uh, I love the sound of it, and I, you know, had in some situations been able to do it. And same thing, I, it sounds great. But every once in a while, you would work with an engineer that, you know, first thing they want you to do is tape your wallet onto the drum. <laughs> Go! Who, no. who are you? Don't you know? That's my thing. <laughs> right there, that's that's the common uh, outburst by a, a greenhorn player. <laughs> Man, that's my thing. <laughs>
0: Why, why'd you pick drums?
2: I don't know. It, it could I hate this, my dad was a drummer, and it could be that, by the time I was around, he was not playing, though there were, there were still drums in the attic, because I remember somebody coming to the house one day to buy them, but I know he lived in that house until I was five years old, so I was somewhere younger than five when that happened. I had never seen him play, but... He was incessantly banging on um, whatever, anything, and and whenever he and my mom were getting ready to go out, and he would be ready and waiting, he invariably would crank up some Creedence Clearwater, um, and so I don't, I don't know if. Uh, it seems liable, likely. That there was, there was some influence, you know. Sure. Yeah, I did them. Um, I, I, I played them through also in, uh, you know, school concert band. Okay. Yeah. That, I started out in the fifth grade playing uh, coronet. I soon moved to drums, which was not <laughs> not the right move. You know, I, I ended up then playing in the drum section, all the way through high school and I, I could have spent that time playing another instrument and playing drums on my own because I never I, I don't think there was anything that I learned from playing drums in that situation that I applied to. Yeah
0: but the drum section is always for all the like crap that the band gets in high school the drum section always is considered cool. Like, they always, no matter what, like everybody else. Yeah. And,
1: like, the coronet section not really known for
2: pulling it down. Let's
0: right. Like, honest. the coronets yeah. don't really, like, that's true. Score, so that's true.
2: Yeah. And that's, I guess that's true that the, as far as the other students were concerned, the drum section was kind of cool. But right. in both cases, in junior high and high school, this guy's the fucking drum section was a necessary evil. Uh, <laughs> right, <that's>, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we got to, I, in high school, I got to contrast that and really see how what it could be when we did for a, a quarter, maybe. Um, <clears throat> we had a guy come from uh, there was a university not far away that I, I guess they parted, among other things, they were known for their music program. And we had a guy come from that program to, uh, I don't know, is that interning or?
0: Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah, something, yeah. Doing a, a residency for a, yeah. <laughs> for, for a quarter. And it was for the fall quarter that he came to work with our high school concert band. And this guy was into drums. And he also had a temper problem. <laughs>
0: Perfect.
2: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were used to being ignored and, and conducted ourselves with little discipline. And this guy, he paid a lot of attention and was not down with our ways. <laughs> um, but I... Uh, there was still something in that i remember getting a little bit out of that that all right this guy kind of takes it what we're doing up here seriously be able to hold shine a whole different light and i also remember and i don't remember he was not not that he paid particular attention to the drum section when we were marching, but that was a thing that mercifully in junior high and the high school, the writer and directors were not into marching. They would drag us out to, uh, there were a couple of local parades that we had to do almost, you know, kind of by obligation. And Otherwise, they were not into that. But uh, this guy, that intern, Got, he that was another thing that he wanted to do. And oh, my oh gosh. man. He, I, <laughs> when we were out on the field, it was not just the drum section, it was the whole band that had his neck just bulging and fury. <laughs> Smashing the uh, the drum major's baton into the ground with rage. Uh, <laughs>
0: I wonder if that guy went back and changed his major. Yeah, I wonder yeah. If he a <laughs> major instead.
2: <laughs> I have no idea what happened to him after that. Yeah, I wonder how what he how he processed that experience after me.
1: Living's 1982 is available this coming Friday, April 16th, both digitally and on vinyl, and you can pick that up wherever you get your records.
0: You can follow us on all the various socials. You can check out our website at rock'n'rollgradschool.com for more grad school content. And please leave us a review on iTunes. We're tired of asking our family members to do so.
1: Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hedquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sovey and Sandy Stone. Our willing producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our intern is Zach Jackson. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mastonen. This one's for Philippe. Thank you, good night, and may all your favorite bands stay together.